game is about winning. Yeah, we want to win in Toronto. It's the first thing I said when I came here. And I'm going to say it again. We want to win in Toronto and we're going to win in Toronto. I can guarantee it. Yeah, because we will do everything in our power. Yeah, in my power, I'll do everything yeah, to learn uh, about what you are saying. Learning to build this team around youth. Uh, that's, that's the challenge now and I accept it and we're going to take it and, and go with it. That, of course, the voice of Raptors president Masai Ujiri as we bring you in to the latest edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review fresh content every Thursday on your favorite podcast platform and on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Jonesy. I don't know if we've ever started a show with a clip like hey. that, but it seems seemed like the smart thing to do to hear from the man himself, Masai Ujiri. All I can say is we loaded today, baby. We we getting yeah. after today, man. <laughs> we are loaded, and the Raptors certainly yeah. uh, loading up on draft picks, on 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 players. I mean, over the last less than a month now, uh, it's what three first rounders, a second round. Move over, move and, over, Sam Presti. Five players. <laughs> Sam Presti, move your butt over, move your ass over. We got we got picks too. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it'll be interesting. It certainly is obviously a, a massive shift, and of course, unless you're a Raptor fan who's been under a rock, we're referring to the Pascal Siakam deal with the Indiana Pacers with making light reference to the uh, now couple-week-old uh, deal, well, almost three weeks old, the deal with uh, the New York Knicks and OG Ananobi. But Jonesy, as, as Masai just said, this is a, a new era now that's being ushered in. The Raptors going with younger players, but maybe to Masai's point, not necessarily like blowing it up and rebuilding it's like yeah we're going with the younger players but we still expect to win and Masai saying that he guarantees this team will win so it doesn't sound like a front office that's prepared to sort of wallow at the bottom of the east or wallow at the bottom of the league for a long time they have high expectations for this young core that they look to be building around Barrett Barnes and quickly yeah, and that's, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that Masai uh, talked about it, uh, building around young guys. And I, I thought his statement was strategically and well-positioned because you don't win with young guys. But those young guys gain experience. And I, I think back to the words of, of former Raptor coach Vince Car uh, uh, Butch Carter when he referenced Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady saying, they're going to have to get they're going to have to get beat something's going to have to happen to them to have them become driven and you know you and I have talked about this you not that losing but let's call it losing and experience is a big part of moving forward right the, you, t you think about the Lakers and the Celtics back in the 80s and then Detroit could never get past Boston and then Chicago could never get past Detroit and it just the the the, the cycle continues you know so uh, this is part of the new era in Toronto and there'll be some learning and there'll be some difficult losses and, and some experience building and there'll be some, some great wins and there'll be inconsistencies, but it's all part of the whole journey moving forward. So I'm glad Masai was strategic in putting that out there to the fans, because as we've always said, you get to the top of the mountain, you see the view. It's like, Hey man, when are we getting back there? Well, you know, be patient, Grasshopper. You got to work for that to get back there.
Well, and Jonesy, maybe to that point right there, this is a perfect segue to hear a little bit more from Masai Ujiri, who said, well, in not so many words, they, they, they might not be done in terms of the dealing. Uh, definitely, yeah. That's, you, you look at this, and that's why we have created uh, flexibility. Um, and um, the next three weeks is the, all these windows, whether it's now, whether it's the draft, uh, whether it's free agency, that's why we've created flexibility uh, to make this team grow and uh, continue to be bigger and and better and exciting for our fans because um, I I think there's there's upside here. Of course, the interesting thing, or maybe the thing that we don't talk enough about all the time, is the um, personal side, I suppose, Jonesy, of making said deal. So even though Masai acknowledges that maybe they're not done, so, I mean, we can sit here and speculate, uh, you know, Gary Trent, and his contract situation coming up at the end of the year. You've obviously got expiring uh, deals with some of the veteran guys, With whether you think of uh, Thaddeus Young and Garrett Temple and Otto Porter. Um, I would assume after giving up a first-round pick for a guy like Jakob Pertl, that's a guy that would, would probably be part of your core going forward, and you want that big man in the middle. But where does Dennis Schroeder land in all this? Like, There's a lot at play, Jonesy, and that's the personal side of it, which, um, right, wrong, or otherwise, has certainly been talked about over the last, well, 24 hours or less, let alone over the last couple of months, is was the personal side of what ultimately happened, trading Pascal, handled properly? And, well, Masai Ujiri uh, acknowledged on Thursday that, well, he probably should have done things a little bit better or a little bit different. Here's Masai Ujiri. But based on my relationship, you know, like Pascal deserved that I even gave him you know, like the over communication, you know, like which I didn't. And I apologize to him, you know, for it. I apologize to him before the season uh, started. And, um, and uh, I apologize to him again, you know, um, uh, recently. So, um, yeah, that part I'm not, yeah, I'm not particularly proud of, you know, like, but there are so many things in our business that yeah, bring about, uh, this type of, um, yeah, the, this this type of communication or non-communication, uh, and um, I go back again to say there's there's nobody in this world. I don't know, you know, like outside his close family, his mom, his um, his brothers, and uh, yeah, that guy is he's right here. Jonesy, what do you think about what we just heard there in terms of Masai acknowledging that and, and essentially apologizing for the way he handled things or maybe didn't communicate enough with Pascal and his reps? Well, I, I just think sometimes in the throes of battle, um, it, you know, things, are, things move so quickly that you don't always have time to, uh, you know, to, en to enact the human touch, the human side of things. You, you've got to get the business done and then you kind of come back and explain and, uh, you know, deliberate and, and, and disseminate the information and the timeline around it and, and what the crunch was. And maybe Masai couldn't do that and he's doing it now. And, I, you know, th th there was a piece by our own Michael Grange talking about, you know, Pascal feeling betrayed probably because he wasn't hearing all of what was going on, maybe in real time. So uh, it's, it's, it's touchy, it's delicate, and I will... Say this again, good for Masai to apologize like that and take ownership. Um, you know, that's what a leader does. And, and the other side of it, I will say, is 
uh, chalk it up to, as we always say, Eric, in the NBA, the business side of what's going on in pro sports. Well, for more on the trade and likely a whole lot more as well, we bring into the conversation right now a man that's been covering the NBA for a long time on, on TV and print, radio, you name it, from FS1, Rick Buecher. Rick, we can get into some other stuff around the league uh, in a couple of moments, but um, obviously we've got to hit you right off the bat with, I guess, your impressions of the deal that officially went down yesterday. It's been rumored for a long time, but um, when it finally was a done deal, uh, what's your your gut, your take on the Indiana-Toronto deal and Pascal Siakam for three first-round picks and, and, a, and a package of players, including Bruce Brown? What do you think? Uh, it's a remarkable deal. Uh, I three first round picks. I'm, I'm, I, I like Pascal Siakam and I know that the, uh, the market and uh, value has been uh, has shot through the roof as a result of the Rudy Gobert deal. And, and then the Kevin Durant deal. Uh, I, I don't know that I put uh, Pascal in in the category, honestly, of either one of those guys in terms of what his, his, his overall impact is. I think he's a very good, ideally number three guy, maybe, eh, no, on a, on a championship caliber team, number, uh, a number three guy. Um, and so I, I, uh, that said, I think he's a great fit for Indiana. Um, I think he's a perfect, perfect guy for them. What they need, they need, obviously need to upgrade defensively. They've got some other pieces that with Tyrese, they don't, he doesn't have to be a playmaker. Um, I think his personality fits Indiana. I, I fully expect that they're going to, they're going to load up on him and, and keep him for the long term. Uh, but I was hearing, uh, and this was discussed since last summer, DeJounte Murray for, for Pascal Siakam. Um, and that was still kind of floating around here. I don't know whether, whether uh, Toronto, whether Masai used that as, uh, you know, impetus to get Indiana to move. But um, this, <laughs> I, I like this deal a whole lot more um, for uh, any number of reasons in terms of where Toronto is, how you get talent to Toronto, uh, all of it. So I, I, I actually, I think the, the Raptors right now are a much better team than their record would indicate. I just had a chance to see them up close uh, when they came through uh, and played the Warriors. And, uh, and so I, I think, I think things are, are moving in the right direction. I told them aside directly, I said, I, I'm really impressed with how you were, you, you've been able to make over this team uh, and what you have, because uh, they're, they're much much better than uh, than I expected them to be, and I know the record doesn't reflect that, but I think that there are there are good times ahead for the Raptors. Rick, I I, I got a lot of questions about Toronto with your statements there, I, and and good ones, uh, but you said you know ideally you see Pascal as a a three on a championship team. Indiana is obviously trying to step things forward. Where do yeah. you see him now? Is he is he one A? Is he two to Halliburton? And if they're a championship team, that means they're going to need another guy in there uh, in the next yep. few years with some of their, yep. you know, young talent like Halliburton and, 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 and some of the other young guys that are, you know, Matherin and some of these other young guys that are playing really well. Yep. Well, I would, I think ideally, um, you know, probably by default, he's 2A. I'm a big Benedict uh, Matherin fan, uh, but he's, he still has some growing and understanding 
on on what to do and when to do it. Uh, so I think he has that potential. But as of right now, I'd say that they don't have the ideal number two. Um, that uh, if they're and they're, look, they're 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 a fun team to watch. They've done very well this season. I would expect that they're going to make the playoffs, um, but they're not anywhere close to a championship team yet. Uh, they have a lot of work to do defensively. And um, as much as, as we heard Pascal say that, you know, Miles is the ideal guy to play next to him, I, I, I think it starts with Miles Turner. Um, he just doesn't give you enough. Uh, I think offensively, I understand why Pascal would say that. Uh, defensively, I just I think they're so soft on the interior, and uh, what the Lakers did to them in the end season tournament final uh, is a reflection of that. Uh, I think both the Pacers and the Thunder right now are great young teams that can just be beaten by size, and we've seen the Lakers do that exact thing to both teams here in the, uh, in the not too distant uh, past. And so um, I think they're on their way, but there's still more work to be done for both of those teams. Uh, Eric, you and I are of the same vintage. I was saying, I was laughing that we watched the Rock'em Sock'em games of the late eighties and early nineties and all the way through to the late nineties. And, and the NBA, Steve Kerr said they've legislated it out. I just think they've generally devalued defense and the way this Indiana team is playing, that, that shows it. Do, do you yep. think that they really do need to get better defensively? Like, I, I, There's part of me that can't believe Rick Carlisle's allowing this to happen, but he's evolving and changing too. And then I think yep. about Rick Carlisle and Dwayne Casey being a Carlisle disciple. This is also a good fit for Pascal. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I – um... I mean, look, I think Rick Carlisle is a, is a really smart coach. And so you adjust to what you have and you adjust to the way the game is being played. And I would expect that he's going to try to incorporate uh, more defense into this team. But you, you, you have to work with, with what you have. And um, I, I agree with Steve uh, that it has been legislated out uh, simply because there's no – physicality left in the game like there's look the game has changed the three-point shot and the pace of the game all of that has has changed so it's we're not going to go back to you know bigs pounding in the block pounding on the block and getting to the rim uh even if we get a a a Nikola Jokic Joel Embiid final which is what I'm I'm rooting for uh they're 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 different bigs you see you see a little bit of that but it's more about space and pace. And so we're not going back. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, they've played this style in Europe forever. And they play a much more physical game, which is why we get it, we're getting our ass kicked in, in international competition these days. Um, you know, it was, just, it was amazing to watch this past summer in the World Cup. Guys looked like they'd been hit by a two-by-four. Two they couldn't believe that. Uh, that there was contact and they couldn't get a whistle and they didn't know what to do. Um, and I, and I, and I, we were promised by the league that they were going to change that uh, coming into the season. And I think they did it for about a week and I was excited watching that. And now we've gone back to the same thing where 
It encourages flopping. It encourages exaggeration. I think it makes the game more difficult on the referees because you've got to now you've got to you've got to blow the whistle for everything and anything. It's it is not a good watch in in my estimation. And and I really think that there's a relatively easy fix to it. Um, and it's not going to go back to the way it was, but it could certainly be a more attractive product. Um. Rick, I want to circle back to the to the to the trade for a second, and maybe this opens the door potentially to your your impression or opinion on whether or not you think Toronto's done, or if there's more to be done for the Raptors. Because as we've talked about the three picks, you get a guy in Brown that I know Denver wanted to keep last year. Then he signed with the Pacers. I think he's a valuable piece to Toronto, but could also be a valuable chip if they wanted to flip him right away to any number of championship contending teams that might want a guy like that. I don't know if Wara or Lewis. Uh, fits into the long-term plans, but those three picks, some in the yeah. fan base will say it's incredible, three first-round picks. Others are saying, yeah, but is the draft that valuable anymore, especially two of the three picks are in 2024? How much value is there to it? But, heck, to me, those are chips that you could also flip in other deals as well and that we haven't even addressed whether or not is Dennis Schroeder staying or going, Gary Trent, other yeah. guys. Like, Do you think that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster might be eyeing a whole lot of things coming up over the next three weeks as we approach the deadline? I think they'll certainly look to see what's there. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of talent uh, that's that's rumored to be available that makes a lot of sense. I would look at everything that the Toronto Raptors do through this prism. How does it fit around Scotty Barnes? Because that is clearly who they are building around. So uh, Bruce Brown, to me, makes a lot of sense. Uh, as a guy, as a floor spacer, as a defensive guy, um, along with Scotty Barnes. Uh, Scotty has done, uh, I think, a, a remarkable job in improving his three-point shooting. But ideally, I want him working below the free throw line when I can and, 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 getting, uh, and getting other guys uh, available. And in most cases, if you can get him isolated, he can take pretty much anybody um, th- th- he's a difficult matchup. Um, and so uh, Bruce Brown fits that. So I don't know that they're, they're in a hurry to move him someplace else um, or, or even to, to retain him. You're the, I, I think the first, r- first round picks, uh, a surplus of them, certainly is cachet to make another move. But let's, let's be realistic about where they are. I, I think that they will move up and they will at the very least be in the play-in. Uh, I, I just, I, I just believe I, I'm a big fan of Darko's. I'm a big fan of the way he's run this team. I believe that they're going to get better as the as the season goes on. But they're not like one piece away for playing for a title. So, and mm-hmm. Scotty is still evolving as a player. So, I would much rather see. Okay, let's add this equation. We needed to move off of Pascal. We got that, and now now that creates more space and room for other guys to evolve uh, their games. Let's see where this team is this season, how it grows, and then those picks are still there to be used uh, when you get uh, around the draft or during the offseason when you're able to really have a clear assessment of who you are and what you need. We could have kept going for another ten, but we don't want to. We don't want to overstep, so we'll we'll let you go. I Thanks for this, man. Stuff, man. That's that's awesome stuff. Take care, man. Yep, you got it.
That was longtime NBA writer and broadcaster from FS1 and the On the Ball with Rick Buecher podcast, the aforementioned Rick Buecher. All right, Jonesy, let's continue the conversation that we were just having with Rick there. Um, it's too bad that he had to go. Listen, folks, we would have kept him longer. As, as you know, we often will go you know, 15, 20 minutes with a guest, but Rick had a tight timeline today, so we appreciate whatever time he could carve out with us. I would have, I'm sure you would have, wanted to follow up. What makes him so high on the Raptors Jonesy, oh, I look at this e, team. Yeah, e, go ahead. Like yeah. Raptor fans will be quoting Rook, Rick Buecher. Like it's like he's driving the bandwagon right now yeah. for this, for this the, the retool. And I, I get it. I like. I, I mean, I, and I've said this before, and you and I know this, and we've watched it forever in the NBA. When you win a championship, that is the pinnacle. And no matter how good your championship team is, or what the contract status is of each guy, things change and you slide from the top of the hill. You slide down and it's it's a matter of how far you slide before you can turn around and start climbing back up to the top and you want to try to minimize the slide. I mean, I think about Golden State in their era. Remember the bubble, Eric? They didn't even bring them to the bubble. They were so far behind. They said, ah, you guys stay home. You got no shot during COVID here. Just Just stay home. And so they were out of it that year after winning, you know, having titles. And then the next year, I think they lost in the play-in. And Steph uttered those words, well, I wouldn't want to be facing us in the future. And then the next year, they win the title, right? Like, isn't that, yeah. wasn't, do I have the chronology wrong? Yeah. I think they yeah. went from the play-in to the title. So, yeah, they slid, they stopped the slide, and they climbed right back up the hill. And I get it with Toronto. It's it's they're starting to climb now after making all those trades and making the deals. And I mean, everybody's gone. Right. You and I talked about this. Everybody's gone. Pascal, Gasol, uh, Van Vliet, Powell, Kawhi, Kyle, Nick Nurse. They're all gone. They're all gone. Chris Boucher is the last man standing. OG, they're all gone. So now you're starting your climb again. But I would have been really interested to see what Buker thinks about the next pieces added and making the climb back to the top and the timeline around it. Well, and, and, and that's, I guess, where I was going with it, Jonesy, when I, when I first started mentioning it to you. Like, I like the fact that it's coming from somebody else and not from us, so then at least some in the fan base won't just point, ah, it's just you guys just always think it's good. I look at right now and say, listen, at least at the time that we're having this conversation, the team is you know dipping and diving around close to 10 games below 500. You hope they can go on a run and get within three, four, five games of 500. And then do they have enough runway left to actually get a little bit closer? Like I look at a team like the Chicago Bulls, if you had told me at game 20, even game 30, that the Bulls would be going on a run to put themselves within three, four games of 500, I would have said you're crazy. Or I would have said at the very least, well, why can't that be Toronto as well? I don't think Chicago, even currently right now with the Raptors now without Pascal Siakam, I don't think the Bulls are any better than the Raptors. I think it's a matter of just being able to string together uh, a few wins to maybe try and turn around your fortunes a bit or get some momentum going. And that's one of the issues, I suppose, with the Raptors is we're now at the halfway point of the season. Now we're, now, now we're entering the second half, and it's been two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back. Like, we haven't had a three-game winning streak from the Raptors yet this season, let alone could they put together three, four, five. But when I look, Jonesy, at the court that – exists now of Scotty Barnes, R.J. Barrett, and Emmanuel Quickly. 
I think that's a pretty good three players, three young players to build around. And dare I say, to use the most direct, exact comparison of, let me look at the Indiana Pacers. Now, I'm not saying that Barnes is, is Halliburton and, 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 I don't know, is, is Barrett. Who's Barrett? Like, does, does Indiana even have a Barrett? Okay, maybe Barrett is Siakam. Uh, 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 do, do the Raptors have a Miles Turner? Is Benedict Matherin Emmanuel quickly? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not comparing player to player, but I'm comparing the situation, Jonesy. And let me throw you this. In 2022, or since 2022, look what the Indiana Pacers have done. The only core guy, really, the only true core guy would be Miles Turner. Miles Turner, since, yeah. Since 2022, they've acquired or drafted uh, Nemhard, Matherin, Halliburton, now Siakam, Walker, uh, Neesmith. Like, we're talking about six, seven guys that are the core of this team now have only come since 2022. So for the Raptors right now to be starting this whether you want to call it a retool, a refocus, a rebuild, whatever re you want to put on it, I don't think it's necessarily a total teardown, doom and gloom, we're going to be awful for years to come. I think there's proof in the pudding with the team you just dealt with that if you strike at the right time, if you draft properly, if you trade properly, you can retool and rejig on the fly in a relatively quick amount of time. Beyond just the example you mentioned with Golden State, I'm using Indiana, the partner you just dealt with, as the most glaring example of how quickly it can happen. And let's look around too, Jonesy, how how much the NBA has changed over the last few years because of the play-in. It's damn hard to be top six. And now you at least have a chance at 7, 8, 9, 10. Like, I would say most people would say, okay, yeah, I would love to have DeJounte Murray and... Trey Young. Look where the Hawks are. I would love to yeah. have, you know, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, Kobe White. Look where the Bulls are. Look where Brooklyn is with the young talent they have. You have to be extremely good now to be a top five, top six team in the NBA, but you got to be pretty good to be on that next level. And can you get yourself to that pretty good level quicker to then hopefully then allow yourself to be pretty good and now I want, want to be in that conversation, and I'm putting myself in that conversation to be damn good. You know, I don't know if I'm making sense the way I break no, it down you do. like that. No. But I, I think you're a lot closer to the middle ground than you are to, like, completely bottoming out. Uh, Eric, I, I agree with you. I, and, like, you know, maybe we're just uh, – what's the line from, from Pulp Fiction? Maybe we're just – let me clarify it. Let me uh, clean it up, patting ourselves on the back here. But I agree with you. I mean, I – I think that's the way to look at it. And it was interesting to hear Rick Bucher, his comment about Darko. Think about Darko, rookie head coach, coming into a, as you said, put whatever re you want in a, rebuild, retool, reload, uh, you know, put whatever re you want on it. And he has a totally different team halfway through the season that he started training camp with. And he's trying to put it together on the fly. And, you know, he promised the guys dinner for a three-game winning streak. They haven't had one all year. And all it takes is, I mean, look at the standings as we record this. A three, four-game winning streak puts them in ninth. So, I, you know, I just, I think there is hope in the future. The, the prospects are good. And I, I think right now, 
It's about the patience. And it sure looks like the organization has it with what they've done, growing together. A rookie head coach, a young core in, in quickly Barrett Barnes. Uh, who knows what the other pieces look like as they start to add to them. Uh, you, you, you have a vet like Pirtle. Well, who, who knows? You've got grizzled vets to help like Garrett Temple, Otto Porter. Who knows what it looks like? But it, it seems like the organization is going to have that patience. It's up to the fan base now to be patient and recognize that too. And that's tough for the fan base because they've been to the top of the hill, man. They have been to the top of the hill, planted the flag, stood there with their hands on their hips and said, yeah, we're the king of the hill. We, we're looking up here. The view is great. And as we know, the NBA roller coaster or Ferris wheel, as I said before, somebody knocks you off that mountain and you got to get a grip, dig in and climb back up. So right now it's about patience in a number of ways. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I will say this too, to be fair, not that you're not being fair, Jonesy, be clear about that, to be fair to the fan base, I agree with the patience part, no doubt. The tough thing is, and this now gets into the business of basketball outside of the X's and O's and the players on the floor. You know this firsthand. I know this firsthand. Beyond our roles as broadcasters, as season seat holders, the prices have continued to rise. They rose drastically going into this current season. And that building is still sold out pretty much every damn near night. And if you're looking ahead to next year where you're in a retweak, retool, rebuild, you're hoping to be somewhere in that conversation for, you know, five, six, or at the very least in the plane, but you know you're not quite yet at the championship contending type caliber, so you're preaching patience. Man, you better not be raising ticket prices again then. And you better not be expecting fans to be dishing out you know, oodles and oodles and oodles of cash because that's one of the things I think that made the team attractive back in the day, Jonesy, that it was a um, affordable ticket and ticket prices understandably rose as the team rose and as the team got more popular and as the team got better and as the team was contending and then as the team was winning, ticket prices rose. But if this team's going to have a couple of years where it might be not quite what fans have certainly become accustomed to over the last decade, there's going to have to be a balance between the business of the X's and O's and the business of the business itself. Do you agree? Let's yeah, I agree. I agree. And let's hope, um, you know, the marketing people and the the ticketing people uh, and the organization understands that. I mean, that would, that was the worst part about a place like, Philadelphia or Oklahoma City where they were openly going it in, in the tank and still, you know, charging season seat holders their, their premium prices and saying, oh, be patient, be patient. I mean, with all of the what Sam Hinkie did in, in Philadelphia, they still they've, they've got a great player at MVP in Joel Embiid. They've got a championship coach now in Nick Nurse. They had one in Doc Rivers. All that said, they've never been past the second round. So it is something that, to keep an eye on, and it is a very pertinent conversation to have going forward. I, I want to mention one last thing, and I, I want your impression on this too. I feel like you and I have talked about this off the air. Maybe we've even gotten into it a little bit on the air as well. And, and folks, uh, you know, I have to give you the, the, the patented preface of I don't want this to sound like an excuse. I absolutely in my heart believe it's a fact. And we were, Jonesy and I, and all of you as fans as well, we were a part of this, but more so from a distance. I don't think you can underestimate the impact 
that COVID, that the pandemic, and specifically oh. the market of Toronto and having oh. to go to Tampa for an entire season and then have another season played in front of an empty arena, I don't think you can underestimate the impact that that had and has had on the post-championship era for the Raptors. So going back to what you just said, you know, five, six, seven minutes ago, Jonesy, about all of the guys that are gone with Chris Boucher being the last man standing for now in terms of the link to that championship team. Yes, it was there were a bunch of dudes that were free agents. Yes, there were some of those guys that you weren't even going to want back or, or prepared to have back. Yes, there were other guys that you wanted back that left. Yes, there were other contracts that were soon to be expiring that you had to make decisions on. All of that. But when you follow up your championship with the second best record in the league on March, I believe, 8th it was against Utah, when the world shuts down, then come back four or five months later in a bubble and go to Game 7 and be mm, that close to getting back to the Eastern Conference Championship without Kawhi Leonard, without Danny Green, then follow that up with a whole bunch of uncertainty and then a franchise relocated temporarily for an entire year away from its fan base and players relocated away from their homes and families and the organization trying to bring in guys via trade, via free agency, trying to sell them on, we don't know what the hell's happening with the future of the world, let alone the NBA, to try and make it through a season in Tampa not knowing if slash when you're getting back to Toronto, to then return to Toronto and the issues with the border. And I'm not saying that anybody was making wrong decisions here, but the border versus the U.S. border versus Canada and regulations and ramifications here versus the U.S. and how you're trying to then sell guys on coming here or not coming here and fans and tickets and everything else, that had a massive impact that cannot be and should not be underestimated in terms of what Bobby or Masai or previously Nick Nurse or now Darko or the organization in general has been able to do in terms of what they maybe could have or would have or should have done in a quote-unquote normal world. Don't compare what Toronto did to any other previous championship team in the years that followed because for at least at least a year, if not two, if not two and a half of those years, it was an absolutely never-before-seen wild card, complete BS that nobody could have expected that really did hamper and hamstring the team from a basketball standpoint and from a business standpoint and again those aren't excuses folks those are facts and if you can't accept those facts then you're delusional uh, eric uh, like you said it uh so well uh, i mean i think about you know the great what if i would have loved to have seen what that team could do could have done in a regular normal normally completed regular season and playoffs without Kawhi Leonard. People forget that we were in Utah the night that Rudy Gobert uh, basically probably had COVID and we were there calling the game and we're in the locker room after and all of that on the plane with the Raptor team and, and, and the world changed that night. And, and from a sports standpoint, for sure, uh, the NBA shut down and everybody else followed. And the Raptors were... Third, had the third best record in the NBA, second best record in the East. And people forget, without Kawhi Leonard the year before, they were 19-5. and five. They played almost a third, a quarter of the season 
without Kawhi Leonard and had a, you know, a, a winning percentage of almost 80% or more than, more than 80%. And they were, they, they, that team had it going the next year. They had it going. And if they hadn't shut down, I'm not saying they repeat as champs, but they're confident. They've got the respect of the NBA, the officials, their defending champs. They were going to be a really tough out. And as you said, they even got to game seven in the bubble. And, 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 and that was totally different because momentum had been broken by that time. So you're right. Don't underestimate that. And to me, I will go to my grave about that one wondering what if, what if. Yep. Yep. Thanks again to Rick Buecher for joining us. Uh, we're going to step aside for a moment. When we come back, Kevin Pelton from ESPN will join us. It's Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review. And speaking of podcasts, the co-host of the fabulous Pelton cast from uh, ESPN covering the NBA and the WNBA, Kevin Pelton. Kevin, thanks for the time. And, and right off the bat, as I, as I said to Rick Buecher, we just finished chatting with him in our, in our you know, first half of our show. Um, your gut right away on the uh, Indiana-Toronto trade, good, bad, or otherwise, from either a Pacers or Raptors perspective. What do you think, Kevin? I, I think good from a Raptors perspective and, and potentially something that can help both teams because, you know, Pascal Siakam seems to really fit so well in Indiana and in some ways I think better than he does did or does or did in Toronto with the emergence of Scotty Barnes is kind of that, you know, focal point of the attack and, and some of the similarities between their games. And, you know, I think this, this makes sense. You said combine this with the OG Ananobi trade a few weeks back. Now Toronto has come away with, you know, the two young players they got in the OG trade, multiple draft picks that they go from net being out one, dating back to the Jakob Pertle trade, to net having two coming in, along with that early second-round pick they got from the Knicks. Uh, I like the direction. Kev, we talked about, um, you know, you win a title and you slide. Like, there's in, in, there, the in, inevitability is there. People look at your they pick your franchise when you win they 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 see what's working they look at players and you know a guy gets i don't i wouldn't say it maybe an inflated uh impression of his ability and he goes somewhere else for money and you know it was all me the championship and and you get picked over whether it's your players your coaching staff whatever you slide a bit and then you try to climb back up the hill and the, you know the key is as we always say never never slide that far before you start climbing again, what else do you see uh, from Toronto? And then what do you think a, t a reasonable timeline would be? Because, you know, you, you've got a fan base that's seen the top of the mountain and they want to get back there. And, and now patience is being tried. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see how they approach the few weeks we've got still left through the trade deadline because, you know, after you've made this trade, I mean, an incredible win last night. We'll, we'll see, and, you know, Toronto can evaluate how, how real that is going forward. But, you know, if, if this is going to be a lottery season, 
as you would presume it would be without without Siakam. Then Gary Trent Jr. going into you know in the last year of his contract, I think makes sense as someone to also look at to, to potentially try and get value for. Uh, how they handle Bruce Brown Jr.'s contract is going to be really interesting because he's got that big $23 million team option for next season. You know, they can decline it and create a, a really large amount of cap space. Probably not to go out and sign one player because, you know, especially, you know, assuming Siakam resigns in Indiana and, you know, some of these other guys we've been talking about extend, there's probably not going to be that quality of player in free agency. But, you know, is it multiple more contributors that you can put around this young group of, of Barnes and Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett that, that complement those guys and, and help you going forward? Uh, but then, you know, if you're not going to bring back Bruce Brown, then it becomes the same situation as with Siakam and Trent, where he's a guy in the last year of his contract, where he could be more valuable elsewhere than he is to you. So, you know, I think the, the Raptors may not be done making moves. It's kind of funny because for such a long time, the, the reputation uh, of this front office and the criticism, you know, externally was that they didn't make moves in season with guys going into free agency with Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet. Now they've changed that in a pretty big way. Kevin, one of the things we were discussing last segment, just was just Jonesy and myself, was the 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 way that maybe the league has changed the last few years now since the advent of the play-in, and I wonder your your impression of how that maybe changes the the direction or the philosophy or or how teams and specifically management teams look at construction of roster. Because admittedly, you know, even though we're both broadcasters for the Raptors, you know, can honestly look in the mirror and say, okay, right now, as, as as of this conversation, no, the Raptors are not a championship contending team. But how long might it take for them to get back to that point? And any team, for that matter, outside of Toronto, if you're not right now, let's say, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and I don't know, are we saying that Minnesota, they're playing well, but are they championship contending right now? Is Oklahoma City really ready to win a title yet? Denver, we think, could still be there. Like, there's probably 20 teams in the league that you could be like, okay, like, they could be close or a couple moves, they might be there. And does it change your philosophy if you're just eyeing now? Get me at least into the play-in. Not that I don't want to be a top six, but, heck, I've now got four slots to work with. So as long as I'm not in the bottom five, man, I got a lot of wiggle room. And if I just give me that chance... Who knows if I go on a run? Do you think that that changes things in terms of Toronto's trajectory, let alone anybody else? Well, I think it does a couple of things. So I, first off, I agree. I mean, you go back to last year where you've got Miami and the Lakers both in the play and, you know, Miami uh, a hair away from getting eliminated by Chicago in the play in And those teams both make it at least the conference finals in the Heat's case, all the way to the NBA finals. Like I do think, especially if you're a veteran team like those were that, you know, has a down regular season, you still believe, Hey, there's a legitimate chance that we can make a deep playoff run. But I think the interesting thing on the flip side of that is how that affects the trade deadline is it means there's a lot more teams that are, you know, looking to trade their veterans than there were a few years ago where, you know, if you're sitting there in 10th, 11th, you're feeling like, your season was over with two months left and that really creates an opportunity for teams that do decide to kind of be proactive about that and you know realistic about their chances to to get a lot better value than was available before uh, a team that I look at as kind of the ultimate example of that, I think it was the first year of the play-in, is Orlando uh, deciding to trade away Nikola Vucevic and Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon. Uh, Gordon trade hasn't returned them a ton of value yet, but the Vucevic trade really set them up. The, the Franz Wagner draft pick, they also got Anthony Black out of that. 
in this year's first round, and then Wendell Carter Jr., who's been a, a quality player for them. And you look a couple of years later at a team that you know bottomed out for a period of time, but now with the number one pick that became Paolo Vancaro, they're in the mix to to make the playoffs in the East and and, and be a part of that. And I think you know if, if you're looking at Toronto's timeline, look, the most important question for any rebuild is: Are we going to find that star player that we can build around? And in Scotty Barnes, I think the Raptors can reasonably believe they have that guy. And now it's just a matter of getting the other pieces around him in place. So I don't think, you know, we're talking about an extended period of time here before they're, you know, back in the playoffs. I think we're talking a year or two at most. Interesting, Kev. Uh, You know, the other part of that is they hired a rookie head coach. And, you know, Darko's uh, well-received uh, you know, pretty revered for his work and, you know, his, his work ethic and kind of coming up through the system and, and you know, being a people person. Um, you, you know, you're, you're talking about that only a year away. He's had a lot to deal with this year because his team is not even the same team that he had in training camp. And there has been no training camp to now integrate Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, uh, Bruce Brown and, and whoever else might come because we still have, you know, a little time before the trade deadline. Yeah. And, you know, the other element of that with, with hiring a rookie coach and, and Darko Rakovich specifically is a lot of the credit he got was player development. And that's you know going to continue to be a crucially important thing for Toronto, not only, you know, continuing to develop the younger established players like quickly and Barrett that you've brought in this season, but then also, you know, now you've, you're looking at probably three of the, the top 31 or 32 picks in next year's draft. You know, who knows if Toronto keeps all three of them, but potentially adding three rookies to the mix. And I think, you know, what, what Toronto is hoping for is the same thing that we saw at the beginning of the Nick Nurse era, the end of the Dwayne Casey era, where you were able to develop, you know, some of those young guys that the front office went out and found uh, to their credit, but, you know, Van Vliet, Siakam, Ananobi, you know, one of the interesting things in the wake of the, the Ananobi trade was I think Raptors fans were kind of downplaying the importance of late first round picks, which, you know, is probably what they're getting from Indiana this year in this trade. And it's kind of fun, amusing to me because you look at where did Pascal Siakam come from? Where did OG Ananobi come from? These guys were late first round picks that a combination of really good scouting and player development turned them into anchor pieces. And that's, that's the process Toronto needs to go through again if they're going to really get to a championship level. Kevin, maybe looking either, well, within Toronto or outside of Toronto with the deadline coming up in just a few weeks, do you anticipate movement, uh, you know, being fast and furious? Or, or, or what do you think in terms of other teams, either at the top or bottom of their respective conferences, kind of uh, making their decisions on which direction they're heading and, and how aggressive they want to be? You know, I feel like this time of year, everyone always says, oh, it's going to be quiet. And this year is unique because of the fact that the Raptors did move so early. Like OG and, and Pascal, no matter what, are going to be two of the better players to get traded in season this year. And it happened well before the deadline. I, I don't know if we have the fireworks of last year where you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving getting traded in the week before the deadline. But I, I do think there's just you know enough teams that are feeling that pressure to win now. Uh, particularly if you're thinking about, you know, a team like the Lakers that, 
is coming off of the conference finals run, winning the end season tournament, and they're leg or winning. Yeah, and they're lagging right now in the play-in. That's a team that could be incentivized to go out and take a big, make a big move. There's also all these teams that are going to be subject to the second apron restriction. To you know, most of them don't have a lot to trade, but this is their last opportunity to take to to aggregate together their smaller contracts and trade them for one larger contract. So you know, I think we're going to have some interesting things before now and then, even if it's maybe not the big names on the level of an Irving and a Durant. Uh, Kevin, how desperate is a team like the Lakers? Uh, you know, I, I think about them, and they're always kind of a, a focus, a focal point in the league. Uh, you know, they win the in-season tournament and then promptly go you know, in the tank, so to speak. Um, you know, where are they at? I mean, there were, you know, whispers about Darvin Ham and, uh, there just seem to be so many moving parts there. And let's face it, time's running out on a 39-year-old LeBron James. Exactly, yeah. I think he, the the answer to your question is right there. As long as LeBron is still playing at this really high level, and we saw in the end-season tournament that you get him in that, you know, one and done is a little different than a seven-game playoff series, but that kind of scenario, he can still be the best player on the court, can can control the chessboard, and, you know, so can Anthony Davis, as we saw in the end-season tournament final against the right matchup. So I, I think there's a lot of urgency, and, you know, I think, to me, a coaching change would be a mistake. I think that, the, you know, searching that Darvin Ham is doing for the right combination around those guys, it's much more a symptom of what's wrong with the roster than the cause of it. That's something I, I wrote about today on ESPN.com, looking at the biggest needs for contenders. And that's why, you know, even though I do think someone like DeJounte Murray is maybe the best player who is, could get traded between now and the deadline would help them a great deal. The more important thing for them is to get two or three contributors like they did at last year's deadline so that you're not giving so much, so many minutes to, you know, for example, Cam Reddish, who's there on a minimum deal because, you know, he, he kind of had washed out a few other places. Guys like that are, are being overexposed a little bit and, and making Darvin Ham's decisions difficult. Kevin, we appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Kevin Pelton from ESPN covering the WNBA and the NBA. We appreciate his time. Thanks again to Rick Buecher as well and to producer and technical director Austin Mackey. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review with fresh content every Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the latest edition of Smith and Jones.